Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. Um, It may or may not be up on the screen. I pray that you read along with me. And it says this. Immediately, he, meaning Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida or Bethesda, while he sent the multitude away. Now, just to kind of give you some context, brief context, they literally just finished uh, experiencing the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. So here Jesus is, as night is falling, he's sending the disciples away to the other side to Bethesda as he also sends the multitudes away that he just fed. And it says, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And now when evening had come, the boat that the disciples were in was in the middle of the sea. And he, meaning Jesus, was alone on the land. And when he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them, now about the fourth watch of the night, everybody say the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it. They didn't even say he. They supposed it was a ghost. Everybody say a ghost. They supposed it was a ghost. And cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up to them in the boat, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. Now watch this portion of Scripture. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. I'll elaborate on that portion of the scripture a little bit later, but just to give you a brief on it. Jesus was in shock how fearful they were and how untrusting they were, especially when they just walked out of a miracle. Isn't it funny how we can experience the grace of God in a certain area of our lives, a certain mini miracle, whether it's small or large, and then go directly into another season when it seems like God is doing something chaotic and we just begin to mistrust God immediately. It's like right when we come out of something, seeing God do something, and you think you got the faith to move mountains and you experience a difficulty, and you're like, Lord, why don't I have faith for this thing? My faith should be greater and should be further than it is. Has anybody experienced that or is that just me? Today, I want to minister from a peculiar title um, called, It's God, Not a Ghost. Everybody say, it's God, not a ghost. You know, I'm really careful about, well, at least these days, after 18 years of walking with the Lord, I am very, very careful about saying these words that I used to say a whole lot. And this phrase is, God wouldn't do that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Has anybody ever said that before? And then you grow on in the Lord and you're like, well, maybe he would do that. It's because in in this context that I just read in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52, the disciples up to that point knew Jesus to be a miracle worker. They knew him to be a healer. They understood him even to be the savior of mankind. They understood all these amazing facets about God, but then they find themselves in a troubling situation in the middle of the sea. Jesus walks up to them, them supposing him to be a ghost. They begin to freak out. I guess if you're 35, you could still use that word, right? They begin to freak out because now God is showing up to them in a form that they're not used to. Have you ever experienced God in a certain way in your life and then you go into another season of life and he kind of changes forms and you don't understand him the way that you once understood him? Come on, you have to be a Christian for just a little while to understand exactly what I'm talking about. You know God, you understand him as savior when you first get saved, but you don't need him always to be your savior yet, right? You get saved the first time, but then there are going to be times and seasons that you go through where God changes his game plan in your life. And you may not understand exactly what he's up to. He's kind of like a ghost, like he was to the disciples in this portion of scripture. You don't recognize him. You're like, God, why are you showing up in this way in my life? And that could be showing up through tragedy. Come on, y'all aren't talking to me this morning. Sometimes it shows up in a form of a hardship or a painful situation that you go through that leaves you in confusion, wondering, God, why are you doing this? Or God, why are you showing up in this form in my life? And you have to be careful when you go through tough seasons where you don't understand God on certain levels. Does everybody hear me this morning? You have to be careful. And here's what the disciples didn't or what they did do when they were in the middle of this situation is they made the mistake by misinterpreting God in that scenario. Look what it says. It says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed him or they supposed it was a ghost. Everybody say a ghost. And they cried out for they all saw him and they were troubled. There are times and seasons in your life that you will go through things and you will say or think this can't be God, like I just mentioned. In other words, the disciples knew him to be God who powerfully multiplied the five loaves and two fish. They knew him to grab a blind man, rub his eyes and take clay and and his eyes would pop open. They knew him to heal lepers with just a touch of laying his hands on them. They knew him to be the God who would call inside Lazarus' grave and cause a dead man to come forth, but they didn't recognize him when he showed up on the sea, walking on the sea. They thought he was a ghost. Everybody say a ghost. They knew him to be this great miracle worker, but they couldn't recognize him in this scenario. And the primary reason what I've found out, the reason most people backslide, does everybody know what backslide means? If you've been in church for any amount of time, it simply means when you're walking with the Lord and then you start making decisions where it drifts you away from the Lord. You start walking in a different direction. You stop reading your word. You stop fellowshipping with other believers. You stop going to church. You stop doing these things. We call that in churchianity, we call that backsliding. Everybody say backsliding. And here's what I have found out. 
The primary reason that people backslide in their relationship with God is because God begins to shift some things and he shifts how he's moving in that individual's life. And this new form that he's showing up in confuses them and they walk away from God instead of embracing him in that season. Does everybody hear me? Because God changes his methodologies as you grow up in him. As you develop to be a stronger Christian, how he moves in one season of your life, he can move completely different in the next season of your life. He's always changing his forms and his methodology. Why? I even I know this, and I know I'm not in the greatest shape in the world, but even in the, even in the weightlifting world, which I love to do, it's known that if you don't change your workout regimen up, your body will get immune to the exercises, and you will no longer see perpetual growth. Oh, come on. You guys don't know what I'm saying. If you, if, you're, if you don't put your muscles or put your body under constant change and stress, you will not see the results that you want. And this is exactly God's methodology. If you're going through a season of life in one season, and he moves in a certain way and he produces growth, he won't use it the same way in the next season. God will change his methodology. Why? God is more concerned with your growth more than he is your comfort. And these disciples, when they were on the sea, were experiencing God in a way they had not before, and they were uncomfortable. Everybody say uncomfortable. And God wasn't making them uncomfortable to hurt them. God was making them uncomfortable to grow them. Look at somebody and say, he's growing you. Come on, look at somebody else and say, he's growing you. And this can be applied to our personal lives as well as what's happening in the world today. People are saying, it's a ghost. Come on, do you think about this with me? They're looking at the world and saying, where is God? This does not look like God. This does not look like God. This does not look like God in our government COVID-19 doesn't look like God. You know what I've often found out as we pray for things and when it comes to pass? See, we want the results, but we don't want the process that comes with providing the results. We've been praying for revival. You really can't see it because our, our keyboard is in the way, but it says revival there. And each week we pray uh, in, as it relates to one of these themes. And so we've been praying about revival. And, and I have been praying that. I've been praying for personal revival in my own life, personal revival in the, you know, in the church worldwide, revival inside our government, revival inside the educational system and all around the world. But can I tell you, God in this season is showing up like a ghost and we just don't, we, we're going to appreciate the end of the thing, but I, but I believe that, that we are just seeing him as a ghost. Like this is unfamiliar, God. We don't like the methodology you're using to lead us up to revival. And this is exactly what the disciples were experiencing. They didn't realize where God was about to bring them in their life. What area of your life is God doing something that you're not familiar with? What tragedy is he using? What is he using in your marriage? What is he using as it relates to your education? What, what job loss? What, what is it that God is doing in your life where you're deeming it to be a ghost, but it's the very thing that God wants to use in your life to grow you, to build your trust in him, to make you a greater child of God, to grow your faith and your trust in him? We talk about COVID-19. We talk about all the chaos in the world. But can I tell you that this is just a ghost, meaning not a ghost. It's, I'm talking figuratively. God is showing up in a way that America has not 
experienced him before. But God has a plan in all of this. Look at somebody and say, God has a plan. And that's what you have to realize. God has a plan. Say it again. God has a plan. And we have to be careful not to look at God through the eyes of our situation or through the eyes of COVID-19 or through the eyes of whatever tragedy that we're experiencing today. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to do the opposite. Look at your situation through the eyes of God and your problem will get a whole lot smaller. Anytime that you look at your situation through the eyes of your problem, it will always make God small in your life and unvictorious. But anytime you switch positions, that's why I love worship. That's why we love lingering in worship. Why? Because I can walk in this place on a Sunday morning or on Monday morning on my way to work. If I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling worried, I know this one very thing. The longer I keep my eyes off of God, the more my trust diminishes in him. But when I get in his presence, when I put on worship music, when I put my mind on him, come on, what does that scripture say? Whoever keeps his mind on me, I'll keep him in perfect peace. That's what God said. So when you put on worship, when you engage in worship, I didn't say you had to feel like it. Did you know that God doesn't even judge that how you feel? He judges your obedience. He judges the fact, well, that's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. It wouldn't, the Bible wouldn't call your praise and worship a sacrifice if you wanted to do it. But what worship does is that puts you in a place where you have a vantage point, where you begin to see like God sees, where you begin to think like God thinks, when you begin to react and see your situation through his lenses, not our own. Come on, I wish I was preaching to the right people this morning. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Come on. Is there any situation that we're facing in our life, no matter the difficulty, no matter the hardship, no matter the pain, worship has a way of putting you in a hiding place with God where you not only can endure, but you can thrive. And the disciples, they were not looking at their situation through God's eyes. They were in a storm. They were looking at the storm. They were looking at the waves. They were looking at the problems surrounding them. And that situation when they looked at it through the eyes of their situation, through the eyes of the waves and the storm, it looked, made God look like a ghost. It made God look foreign. And if you're not careful in your life, if you're going through a situation, some kind of hardship, pain, trial, whatever it might be, whatever tribulation it is, whatever difficulty it is, if you're not careful, you can begin to look at God through the eyes of that situation and he will look like a ghost to you. But when you begin to look at him through his eyes, through his heart, you will begin to see that circumstance propelling you into the destiny that he's called you to. You will begin to see God using the storms and the winds of that storm to push you into purpose, to push you into the pinnacle of his will for your life. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just because God hasn't showed up in this light in your life before doesn't mean it's not God. In other words, just because he's allowing you to go through a certain situation doesn't mean that he's not there. It doesn't mean that it's not him. Just because you don't recognize him and he looks like a ghost to you doesn't mean it's not him. Whatever it might be, it could be a loss of a loved one. It could be a loss of a job. I'm not saying that God takes away our family members, but I will say this. He uses all things. Everybody say all. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Again, I'm careful about saying God will not do this. God will not allow that. 
because there's a verse of scripture that says all. And when I looked up all in the Hebrew, it meant all. When I looked it up in the Greek, thinking it was, I was going to get a different definition, it still meant all. All means all. God works out all things together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So just because you've never experienced God like this doesn't mean it's not him. Just because it's scary, he looks like a ghost, doesn't mean it's not him. Just because I've never, come on, I wish I had somebody at least shout just a little bit. Just because I've never moved or God has never moved in this way doesn't mean it's not him now. Just because you're confused in this situation and don't understand everything, you can't wrap your mind around it, doesn't mean it's not him. Look at somebody and say, it's him. And God is working it out. Number two, God will allow you sometimes when he comes in these ghostly forms. I mean that respectively. God will allow you to be disturbed. Yeah, he'll allow you to be disturbed. The disciples got disturbed. I don't know about you, but if I seen someone walking on the water in the middle of the night, I probably would have reacted the same way, wouldn't you? If I can be quite honest with you, as I said before, I stared at this particular verse for about two weeks, literally. It's not the only verse of scripture that I read, but I just would read it over and over, asking him, you know, what did you really mean by this, Lord? And, and if I can be honest with you guys this morning, I was a little disturbed myself. And as I began to question the Lord in my heart about this, I found out a couple of things. Number one, historically and currently, as I was speaking with the the worship team this morning, the fourth uh, watch of the night, as the Bible said, it says it was the fourth, fourth watch of the night. That is a spooky time of night. Here's what I mean. As I researched it, I even Googled it, and I was looking historically, biblically, and I was searching Google. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which is a time when spirits supposedly roam the earth, Right? This is when great intercessors, like Christian intercessors, wake up and at certain times of the morning. I, I know many intercessors that do that. I have friends that are intercessors, and they say, hey, I wake up at a certain time of night because it's almost like the heavens open. I'm undisturbed. Nobody's bothering me. I can intercede. I can pray without any interruptions, and it feels like prayers are not hitting the ceiling. Well, it operates the same way uh, with the powers of darkness, right? So, so it, it kind of goes both ways. There's witches. There's warlocks not to get too deep into that, that they wake up at specific times of the night to pray against the church of Jesus Christ. They, they pray against you know, uh, God's will. They, they, pray against the, um, they pray for the plans of the enemy to come to pass um, during certain times of the night. But Jesus understood that. And so, so Jesus would have known this and the disciples would have known this. So here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus knew that this coming in the form of a ghost, walking on water at this specific time of the night would send the disciples reeling. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? He knew what time he was. He could have walked on water at six o'clock at night. He could have did it at seven or eight or nine, but he chose this specific window knowing that this could cause an uproar in the disciples' heart. So I found out that God sometimes, point number two, God sometimes will intentionally disturb you to get you out of your comfort zone. Oh, that's so good. 
I wish somebody would say amen to that. God will sometimes allow circumstances in your life to be disruptive, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you, because he doesn't want you to stay stale where you're at in your relationship with him, because he doesn't want you to experience stifled growth. It talks about it in John chapter 15, if you want me to be scriptural. It says the husbandman, meaning the vine dresser, he comes in to cut the fruit with the intention of more fruit growing. Come on, sometimes God will cut back on things in your life. And I've never heard about something being cut without something going, going through some pain. I know a branch can't scream, but there are times in our lives when God will come in and cut a certain relationship out of our life that is painful, but God will often allow painful situations like that not to destroy you, not to cause you to be lonely because he's got godly relationships waiting for you. He's got other godly opportunities coming your way. Don't look at a job loss as a loss. Look at it as God is cutting back some things because he wants to create some other opportunities for you. Come on, some better financial opportunities, some better, op greater doors, greater blessings, and they could not happen unless God disrupts your life. And God will show up in the storm of your life in a ghostly form, and you call your job loss a ghost. You call the loss of that loved one a ghost. You call that whatever that difficult situation that's surrounding your life, you call it a ghost. But God is saying, I'm just here to disrupt some things in your life, to push you into destiny, to push you into purpose, and to push you into the pinnacle of my plan. So God will oftentimes show up in a ghostly form to scare you into destiny. God, that's good. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. God will oftentimes disrupt your life in order to position you and to get you out of your comfort zone. Now, I, I studied this a little bit, and I begin to backtrack. So let me digress just a little bit to give you the context, and I mentioned it just a minute ago. Is everybody okay? Sometimes I get excited about the word. The disciples literally just left an island where Jesus performed perhaps one of the greatest miracles that were ever recorded in the Bible. Now, raising the dead is pretty cool. I'm not going to, you know, have you ever seen the dead raised? They just got through being a part of a miracle that would have changed our lives if we were a part of that. When you, when you read the scripture, they didn't just feed 5,000 people. The Bible says it was 5,000 men, not including, it says, and I quote, not including women and children. I mean, I, I'm looking at loaves back there. I'm looking at about four loaves, three loaves. I mean, can you imagine five loaves and two fish being multiplied to feed at least 15,000 people? That's if each man had a daughter you know, or daughter or son or a wife, right? At least 15,000 people. And so they're just leaving perhaps one of the greatest miracles. Jesus feeds this multitude with five loaves and two fish. I'm sure that after what they had just a part of made them feel like they had unshakable faith. Can you imagine being a part of that? I can, I can imagine walking away from that miracle and thinking to myself, and possibly you'd be thinking to yourself, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too big for God? Is there anything that God cannot do? You know what I found out? And the disciples found out as they left that great miracle? 
you are never as far as you think you are. Let me let that simmer. We are never as far in the Lord as we think we are. I remember as a young Christian, and I hadn't cussed in about a year. That was, that was a big deal. Hallelujah. Somebody clap for a pastor. That's a good... I was about a year in, and I stopped cussing. I used to cuss like a sailor. And then I would just, you know, start speaking in tongues all the time. I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to ever cuss again. And I was, I was kind of prideful about it, you know, when you're 18, 19, and you're like, man, I haven't cussed in the whole 12 months. It's a big deal. And then I was on a job. I was working. I was working full time. Um, and I fell down, and I cut my hand open really bad. I fell on one of those palm branches that are like serrated little razors, and I fell down. I didn't get over this for two weeks. I'm not talking about the cut, but it's what came out of my mouth as a result of falling. And so I found out that when you go through certain things, it reveals where you are. And so all that, although that stuff wasn't still in my language, there were still certain residues of things in my heart. And here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the whole premise, is that the disciples, I'm sure, left that island thinking, I'm on top of the world. There's nothing that God won't do. We're walking with Jesus. This is amazing. There's nothing that can ever stop my faith. And immediately following, following that, they get into a boat to go to the other side that Jesus strategically sent them over to. And they find themselves in the middle of chaos. And they go from being at a high level of faith to where the, what the Bible calls crying out and troubled And supposing it was a ghost. Isn't it funny how circumstances has a way of bringing to surface all the deep-seated issues in our life? Sometimes God will show up as a ghost in our life in in the form of a difficult situation to extract what doesn't belong. And not to just show you where he is. He knows where you are. Look at somebody and say, he knows where you are. He really knows where you are. But he does it to grow you from where you are and to bring you to where he's called you to be. I love, if you've heard me ministering for any length of time, I literally can survive off of watching, how many, how many like movies? I'm a movie buff. I'm not a big TV guy, but I'm a movie buff. But I, but I like this particular show. Uh, it's called Earth. It's, it, literally, I can sit there and watch this. If I have church channel and I have like the Earth series, I'm like good. I'm just weird like that. I'm an outdoorsman. I love being outdoors. I love boating, hiking, fishing, all that good stuff. So I love animals, all that, you know, marine biology, all that stuff. And so I was thinking, I started thinking about the eagle. I was thinking about comfort zone. And did you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but at a certain age, when the eaglet gets to a certain age, the mother will begin to put things in the nest that make the eaglet uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I've watched YouTube, and I was curious as to whether or not the mothers actually pushed, because I've heard some things about the mothers pushing the eaglets out of the nest, and I verified that there, when the, when the eaglet gets to a certain age, the mother eagle will push the eaglet out of the nest 
when the eaglet has never flown before. Did anybody, has anybody ever heard that before? And what the, what the mother will do is it will allow the eaglet to plummet to the ground. And when it's just feet from the ground, the mother eaglet will come up underneath, excuse me, the, the, the mother of the eaglet will come up underneath the eaglet and lift the eaglet up back up and drop the eaglet again and again and again until the eaglet finds its wings. And that's what God will oftentimes do to us. I can't imagine what this eaglet is thinking. Mom has gone crazy. Mom has went off. Mom's postpartum depression. I don't know what mom's struggling with. Mom's got issues. Mom needs to take Paxil. I don't know what they, what's going through that eaglet's mind. All this eaglet knows is mom was once nice, and now she's throwing me out of the net and she, in the nest and trying to kill me. But this is oftentimes how God deals with His children, as He does something out of love. He shows up like a ghost. He shows up through a problem. He shows up through an issue. He shows up through a loss. And all the while we're thinking, God, you're killing me. What are you doing in my life? He's saying, don't worry, child. I have a plan and a purpose. But in order to get you there, I have to push you out of your comfort zone. I have to create these rough seas. I have to come and appear to you in a way that you had not known me. Because not only do I want you to to get to your destiny and your purpose and push you out of your purpose, uh, excuse me, push you out of your comfort zone in order to get you there. But I want to show you a side of myself that you don't know yet. And you might be uncomfortable, but it will grow you and it will mature you and ultimately grow you in your faith towards me. So that in the next season you get to and a difficulty comes your way, you will have faith to endure through the process. Somebody say Amen. So God will oftentimes disturb your faith in order to grow it. Question, what area of your life today, you're thinking about it right now, what area in your life has God showed up like a ghost and disturbed your life? What loss, what heartache, what problem are you facing currently right now? What stress? What's keeping you up at night? What area is God showing up in your life that is disturbing you? And that is getting you to question whether or not he's still there. Because he can be there, yet you don't recognize his new form. He can show up in your life in a way that you're not used to and you bypass it as that's the devil. That's the enemy. Or this is just life. All the while, God is showing up in a way to get you to know, to get you to see a different part of himself that you had not known before. When Jesus showed up on that water, the fourth watch of the night, the spooky time of night, it wasn't to destroy their faith. It was to disturb it and to grow it. Point number three. Turn your fear into fuel. That's what the disciples should have done. Read this with me again. It says, and when they, I don't know if you can put it up on the screen, uh, guys. It says, and when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they supposed it was a ghost. Everybody say a ghost. And cried out, for they all saw him, and they were troubled. We never really know what's in us until we're placed in a position that reveals how much faith or fear we have. 
I'm going to say that again. We never truly know until we're in a tough position that reveals how much either faith or fear we have. Listen, here's my encouragement to you. And here's what I believe to be the word of the Lord for someone this morning. Use your fear to your advantage. What do I mean by that? Leverage your fear and use it to propel you into the arms of Jesus and not away from him. Did everybody hear what I said? There are circumstances and things that can happen in our life that have the potential to do one or two things. This is what I found out. Trouble will either do two things. Fear will either do two things. It'll chase you away from God or it'll push you into his arms. Can, can I be honest and transparent? I know why God allows me to go through trials. It's like, you know, I, I, it seems like in my life God has allowed me to always be in a constant position to grow, to learn. And to be quite honest with you, it's not always comfortable. As a matter of fact, more times than not, it's very uncomfortable. But here's the weapon that the enemy has always used against me, Donnie, personally, is not the weapon of trouble and difficulty and hardship, because that's why I run to the Lord, because he's my hiding place. He should be your hiding place. Look at somebody and say, is he your hiding place? He's my strong tower. He's my shield. He's my buckler. He's my consuming fire. He's my pillar of fire by night. He's my cloud by day. He's, and I found that out about him. But here's what the enemy has used in my life to get me distracted or get my eyes off the Lord is comfort. Comfort. Ease. So where most people would run from God in trouble, I'm one of those who just run to him. But oftentimes the enemy will use ease, comfort, and pleasure to get you distracted, to get you too comfortable to come and worship. Come on, you didn't come to church this morning because everything is going right in your life. I, I, I have this hunch that you didn't give your life to Christ when things were going good. And that's what the disciples didn't do. They didn't allow the storm that they were facing to propel them into Jesus' arms. They were rejecting him until finally Jesus revealed and said, hey, it is I. And then he stepped on the boat and then the winds calmed. Do you see, do you see, the, the, do you see the symbolisms in that? Is that oftentimes God will show up in our lives, in a troubling storm, like a ghost, and we're rejecting him, we're rejecting him, and the storm is still raging. But then when they decided to embrace the trouble that they found themselves in, Jesus steps on the boat and calms the storm. I want to challenge you this morning that whatever it is that you're facing this morning, whether you're listening on Facebook Live, you're listening to this podcast, or you're here in this room, I challenge you, embrace whatever it is that God is doing in your life that looks troubling that looks scary, because I guarantee you, once you embrace the process that God is trying to use to grow you, to grow you closer to him, to grow you closer, you know, to grow you in your faith, to grow you, to bear more fruit in your life so that you look like him, I guarantee you the winds will calm. Be careful not to reject, because the longer that you reject, the longer the season lasts. The longer you reject what God is trying to do. Has anybody ever gone through something in their life and you've heard these words or maybe you know someone who did? Yes, this thing always happens every so few years. 
I always find myself in the same circumstance, whether it's somebody who goes through constant relational changes. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying. Or they're always uh, talking about their finances or they're always talking about a certain sickness in their body. If it's not their toe, it's their arm. If it's not this or that. Listen, when we find ourselves in a constant pattern, yes, it can be the enemy. But sometimes God will allow you to go through the same storm over and over until you finally pass the test. Just look straight ahead. I've been there many times. So it says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. And so use fear to your advantage. Don't push Jesus away. And many people, when they do not recognize Jesus in the form that he shows up in their life, as I said before, they run from him, not realizing that it's an invitation to get to know a different side of him in a different way. Can I tell you, I've learned, you know, David said it like this in the Psalms. He said, I don't know you, Lord, but I want to know you. I didn't understand that because they said the Bible calls him the man after God's own heart. So how, if he's he's after God's heart, if he has a heart after God, how can he not know him? And I realized this, that through life, you will never fully understand the Lord. But as life goes on, you will get to know different sides of him. Like I've known him to be a healer. He has healed my body before. I remember I was struggling with a sickness in my body, and I remember the Lord supernaturally healing me. I'm not talking about a headache. He supernaturally healed me in an instant. I know that's not always the case with everybody. Some people have a thorn in the flesh, and they battle with sickness. That's a whole nother topic, whole nother sermon. But I don't know him as, I mean, I know him as a healer, but that's not the season that I'm in right now. I'm learning, I'm learning that in this season of my life, he's my hiding place. You see, as you progress and as you grow, you learn different facets of the Lord. The Bible calls him the many-breasted one. And what that simply means is that he is able to show many different parts of himself simultaneously to his creation. So while he's teaching my wife, maybe whatever it is, it could be patience, while he's over here teaching me to hide myself in him when when I have trouble everywhere, when I'm going through extreme difficulties. Look at somebody and say, God's growing you. And lastly, as I close, and, and you, can, you can stand to your feet if you'd like. Point number four, see beyond the surface. Everybody say, see beyond the surface. Now, now here's, here's what I mean by see beyond the surface. I'm just going to read it. It's in Mark chapter 8. This still parallels and still, um, it's still, it's still within the context of Mark chapter 6, but here's what it says in Mark 8. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand Is your heart still hardened? Now listen to this verse. Having eyes, you do not see. And having ears, you do not hear. And do not remember. What does that mean? Is that when you're in a storm and Jesus shows up in a form that you're not familiar with, you have to be careful not to allow your eyes to do the interpreting for you. You have to have ears. 
you have to have ears to hear. Somebody say, Lord. Come on, somebody say, Lord, give me ears to hear. We don't want to see with our eyes. We have to have spirit eyes. I don't want to go too deep into that, but you have to see beyond the surface. You have to see beyond what's there. You have to see that thing that you're facing right now as the very thing that God wants to use to pull you closer to his heart, to push you into his purpose and his plan for your life. He has a plan. As I begin to think about Jesus changing his form while he was walking on water. Now, now whether he was translucent, transparent, I don't know. But the Bible is clear that he didn't look like Jesus. Therefore, the disciples supposed he was a ghost. Maybe it was the fact that he was walking on water. And I was like, Lord, well, I, I, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily say you changed your form. But then the way I make determinations in the Bible, if there's this underlying theme happening, like it happens more than one time. And here's what I found out. Jesus changed his forms many times. The Bible says, I think it's in Matthew chapter 16, I believe, that he goes up to the mountains and he brings his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, only the three that were in the inner core. And the Bible says that while they were speaking, Jesus transfigured before them. And it made the disciples be struck with fear. And then there's another portion of scripture where Mary is at the tomb. Jesus just got crucified and she's at the tomb weeping. And the Bible says he looks like a gardener. In other words, his, his form changed. I mean, this is Mary. Mary, Mary who knew Jesus. She was well acquainted with Jesus. She knew him intimately. She served in his ministry. And she says he's the gardener. It doesn't even look like him. And, but here's the powerful thing about this portion of scripture. Everybody say ears to hear. She didn't recognize Jesus until he spoke and said her name. And he said, Mary. And then the Bible says that she all of a sudden recognized that it was Jesus. All, not because of who she's seen, because she didn't recognize him. Don't allow your eyes to lie to you in the form of which Jesus comes to you in your life in this season. You have to have ears to hear. You know what the scripture says? My sheep not followed. And what does that all mean? Is you have to know without a shadow of a doubt that whatever it is that God is allowing you to go through, you just have to hear. Hear him saying, listen, daughter, listen, son, I'm using what you're facing right now to develop you into someone that I've called you to be from the beginning of time. And I can see the end at the beginning. You can't see the end at the beginning, but I am truly working out all things for your good and my glory. He also changed his form. When the disciples, this is after Jesus died, he appears. And he's on this road with a few of the disciples, the disciples that walked with him. And the whole time they're walking with him, the Bible says that they don't recognize him. The Bible says they were walking on a road called the road to Eumaeus. But the whole entire time they're walking with him, you know what the Bible says? After he left, he vanished. Jesus ends up vanishing. And they say these powerful words. Did our hearts not burn while we walked with him on the road? 
Did our hearts not burn? It's because of what they heard. They heard his voice. You can't interpret God with your eyes many times. You have to hear his voice, his validating voice that says, listen, you are going to survive this storm. Don't allow this ghostly thing that's happened to you to impart fear into your life. Allow this thing to push you further into my will, further into my plan. Let this be a time that you get to know my voice like never before. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.